Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sophie. I'm Yelly. And this is She's All Fat. The podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. Now in our final season. In this episode, we're covering Law and Order SVU. In all seriousness, though, we'd like to offer a content note for this episode. Because we're talking about SVU, this episode includes discussions of sexual assault, murder, and violence including specifically fatphobic violence, anti-black racism, and violence against indigenous peoples. If that doesn't sound like content you want to engage with right now, go ahead and stop listening at any time. Take care of yourself first, please. We love you, family, and this is difficult content, so once again, please take care of yourselves. Here's our news corner. Last week, we asked the family to join us in donating to Jen Deerenwater's organization, Crushing Colonialism. Here is your reminder to do that if you haven't already. We're thankful to Jen for coming on the pod last week to help us think through the body politics connecting indigenous justice, disability, and fatness, and we want to turn that thankfulness into monetary support of Crushing Colonialism. Our goal is to get five family members to donate. Can you be one of those five? Go to crushingcolonialism.org slash donate, and I'll be doing so too. Okay, mail alert. We've opened a Google form for you, our beloved family members, to write little notes of love to this fat community you have helped build. We'll be reading and posting your letters all season long. Speaking of, we have a very special letter from Hannah. I started listening to the pod in 2017 or 2018 during my last year of law school. I loved it immediately. I laughed aloud frequently at Sophie and April's banter, and it also made me feel so seen and appreciated in ways that no other media personnel in my life were making me feel. The episode you did about healthcare was a game changer for me. I was recommending it to everyone. I actually made a whole post about the episode you did on fat traders. You've given so much to so many of us through this show. I wish you the absolute best going forward. Thank you, Hannah. Congrats on law school. Good job graduating law school. Yeah, that sounds like you started listening to the pod during our first our first season. I love doing that healthcare episode where we just like yelled about doctors because it was very cathartic yes. <laughs> for me. It sounds like it's a lot of people's uh, favorite. Oh, yeah. Well, it was fun to make too because it was just like, I know that's how everyone felt. Yeah. And yeah, Fat Traders was a good one too. Felt pretty proud of that one. That's our season three finale, I think. Thank you so much for listening, Hannah. And thank you for being part of the family. And thank you for recommending the show to others. And I'm glad that the show helped you form connection and 
community with others and I love you. Check the show notes to write your love letter to the family. (laughs) So this is the part of the intro where we'd normally be talking about our Patreon, but family, all perfect things must come to an end. Some perfect things can stay though. It's true, September is the last month the SAF Patreon will be up in full swing, but long live the patron-only Facebook group and the archive of minisodes we've put out for y'all over the last four years. Logistically, this means we're pausing the monthly charges on Patreon, so current patrons have paid their last $7 to SAF. Thanks, babes. And unfortunately, new folks won't be able to join the Patreon anymore. But we're currently working on a way that we can make our literally hundreds of bonus minisodes available to purchase as little bundles of extra content for anyone who's new to the pod or never got the chance to join Team Paisley Moo Moo. We'll update you in the next few episodes. We love you so much, current patrons, former patrons, and would-be patrons. Send us an email or DM if you have any questions about how this Patreon pause is going to work. That's all our news for this week. Now here's the episode. Today we have an episode that I've wanted to do in some form or another for a long time. It took me a while to figure out how I wanted to grapple with my feelings and thoughts around crime shows, true crime, and why I'm still so interested in hours and hours of Law & Order SVU marathons. The show has a long history for me in my personal life, from being the show I connected with my middle school crush, who I didn't understand was a crush about, to the show I hyper-focused on while getting through homework before I understood I had ADHD and was hyper-focusing. Now I have more information about copaganda, for example, and more thoughts about the intersection of who gets portrayed and how and why. So I turned to some experts to come on the show and chat with me about my problematic fave, crime shows, and specifically SVU. First, we're going to hear from Savala Nolan. We had Savala on a couple weeks ago to talk about her book, Don't Let It Get You Down. And that book is why I wanted to bring Savala into this episode too. She has a whole chapter, it's titled Bad Education, about her relationship to Law & Order SVU. Like me, Savala was an avid SVU watcher, and she's working through how the violence on screen makes her feel now, and why she chooses to no longer watch. Here's what Savala said in our interview. So I wrote about this in an essay in the book because I was really confused by my own behavior and struggling to understand it. You know, on the one hand, I'm someone who politically is a feminist without question, I'm someone who is generally appalled by the violent control of women in our culture, who's not interested in, like, you know, absorbing the horror of that all the time because I find it damaging. I'm also someone who's a survivor of sexual assault. So I have all these ways in which violence against women is repellent to me on the one hand. But on the other hand, you know, I have been a big fan of SVU. And what that means is binging often, like SVU marathons, you know, binging hour after hour of images and stories and plots that draw their life force from depicting violence against women, often really brutal and lethal violence. 
you know, consuming that as entertainment, which it sounds kind of gross to me even now to describe those things as entertaining to me. Uh, but I don't know how else to describe it, right? Like it's a television show. It is entertainment. So I, I couldn't reconcile these two aspects of my personality. So I, like many writers do, I wrote about them hoping to learn something about myself and, you know, about the culture. I appreciated this chapter because I wanted to do this episode about Law and Order's view and like crime shows in general for a while because of a similar thing. I still watch all those kinds of shows and try all the time to figure out what it I'm like, why do I even like this? Like, what is it? And the closest I've been able to come is like, first of all, having any kind of show on in the background is helpful for me with my ADHD because I can tell how much time is passing with it. And SVU Mm -hmm. and other crime shows in particular have such a regular rise and fall of action. Like the same thing happens every time. So if I look up and I'm like, oh, they're questioning someone, but it's only it's 12 minutes in. It's not the same. It's not that guy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's something about the bad thing happens and then the bad thing is resolved by the end of the episode that Mm -hmm. somehow has feels mm, I don't know, like reassuring. I know what you mean. (laughs) I mean, the the cadence is dependable. Right. Yes. Like the rhythm of the show hour after hour is dependable. Yes. You can kind of rely on it. Okay. I want to read from the last page of this chapter, page 93. You wrote, I can't watch the dead girl SVUs anymore. I can't watch the dead girl movies or read the dead girl books. I can't listen to the dead girl podcasts or read the dead girl articles. I know many women can. Many women make them. And they have their reasons, whether because they are too colonized to see the cannibalization or because they've passed through the vortex and emerged enlightened into some post-gendered violence world that I can't imagine or something else. But I can't do it. I have shut the door to my mind. I don't want to take it in. And there's more. But I read that and I was like, I've definitely not passed through to some post-gendered violence world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me neither. But, you know. It's definitely not it for me. So (laughs) why do I still want to watch it? But I do think if I have to really examine it, there is something about, like, a deep fear of being one of the girls at the beginning and wanting to be, specifically with SVU, Olivia Benson, you know, like the one who makes things right. As the viewer, especially as a little kid, I wanted to be Olivia. I wanted to have an Olivia save me. And I wanted to save those dead girls. Savala writes about being drawn to that kind of justice violence. But I also wanted to talk about exactly who those dead girls are. Back to the interview. I also wanted to know if you had any thoughts about... I wanted to connect this to who gets to be the the victims in these shows. Because one of the reasons I originally wanted to talk about this is because there's like few and far between fat victims on these shows. And mm-hmm. almost always they are white, thin, like pretty party girls is like most people who get killed on these shows. And what your thoughts were on that, if you have any. <laughs> well, I too have observed that the casting is 
not diverse in a lot yes. of ways. And the way that you point out is really salient if you're someone who's, you know, attuned to that kind of thing. The women are very often pretty by conventional normative, you know, standards, yes. which is to say, thin, you know, kind of attractive, not like in a megawatt yes. way, but in in like a way that is unassailable, you know? I think of them as being like, you know when you buy a picture frame at a store, yes. there's like a pre-packaged photo in yes. it? Like the people in those photos, like attractive, not like megawatt, but yes. like, yes, okay. <laughs> you know, I think part of that is because it's cultural code for normalcy, uh-huh. you know? It's a way to culturally communicate to us, oh, this is a normal person, at least at the outset, right? Because if the victim was someone whose looks deviated from the normative standard, the way norms work is that we would read into that and say, oh, well, it's because she's a double amputee that has something (laughs) to do with it or because she's fat or, you know, whatever. Like, it's like a, a plot device almost to keep us from going down a certain road because we code that kind of aesthetic, you know, that way of looking as someone who is basically normal, basically good. And then if it turns out, you know, that the plot thickens and they're not, it's a surprise because we didn't have anything visually, physically about them to make us think, oh, deviant, different, odd. Right. So part of it, I think, is like literally a plot device. That is smart. That makes sense. Yeah. Like whether they're aware of it or not. Right. Another another piece of it, I think, that's like really speaks to the erasure of fatness in this world is has to do with the fact that we're meant to sympathize with the victim. Yeah. And culturally, we don't sympathize with fat people. Because we believe that fatness is bad and wrong and a personal choice. You know what I mean? Yes. We don't yet understand broadly that you cannot control the size and shape of your body. Maybe at the margins, but if your genetic blueprint is going to send you down this particular road, like that's the road. And... You know, then you can also get into how, like, dieting ultimately leads to weight gain. So if you have a history of dieting, you may have a higher weight, you know, all of that. But I guess I'm pointing out that there's not one single reason why fat people exist. There can be many reasons that people are fat. But in my view, none of them are, like, a pathology that has to be cured and erased and gotten rid of. It's just part of biological diversity. But we don't, as a culture, embrace that reality. So we don't sympathize with fat people. We think there's something wrong with them, A, and B, they brought it upon themselves. So that doesn't make for a compelling victim. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Dang. You nailed it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, there's more. Tell me more. I I think to the extent that the victims are women... Fatness does not code for delicate. Yeah. It doesn't code for tender. It doesn't code for soft. And we like our victims in this sort of like 
extremely formulaic hero type story to be vulnerable and soft and delicate in some way. Like it's part of what makes them a victim. Yes. And fat people are not given culturally the grace to be tender and delicate, though of course we are, just the way everyone is. Yes. And the other thing I'll add is just this phrase that comes out of sociology and is so useful, especially to fat people. The phrase is symbolic annihilation. Mm. And what it refers to is the pattern that you often see in popular media where certain types of people who were sort of lower on the hierarchy are just simply not depicted. They're annihilated. Yeah right? They're just not there. And it both flows from and is a means of preserving the status quo of the hierarchy. So it's annihilating someone by not having any symbols that represent them, or using symbols within the culture to erase someone. And I think that this is an example. What we're talking about with SVU is also just an example of symbolic annihilation. That's absolutely true. I think also like that immediately makes me think about the experience that I and like other fat people have had of people not believing you if somebody has acted inappropriately towards you sexually, because there's Mm -hmm. a vibe that's like either like you should be grateful or who would want you, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that definitely, that portrayal definitely goes towards that. Whereas, like, fat people are the victim of sexual violence just as much as anyone else. There's no stats that show, like, fat people aren't raped or whatever. Like, that's bullshit, you know? Yeah, I mean, fat people are human beings. Yeah, exactly. So if it's part of the human experience, it's probably part of the fat experience. exactly. But that reality is disruptive to the cultural hierarchy and... It's something that you have to have a certain amount of sort of sophistication and political sophistication to really reckon with and to play with. And if that's not where you're going to put the resources when you're making your show or whatever, you know, that's your choice. That's fine. You put your resources where you want them to be. It's your show. But it does have an impact. Like those choices do have an impact. And uh, one of the impacts is, of course, symbolic annihilation over time. Wow. That is a great term. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. That is... Isn't that a good term? Yes, that's so good. And it's definitely what I want... I'm like circling around trying to talk about with this. That's like exactly it. I think also what we've talked about here and your book chapter helped me to like kind of get to the realization too that like I don't know how much of my wanting to watch them is this. But there's some cultural things that I still partake in that somehow have to do with the parts of me that still want to be thin. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. It's not like I'm like, oh, I wish I were a dead girl on SV. It's not like that. You know what I mean? But there's something reassuring about like this fantasy that this is how it works. And I have become much more uncomfortable watching – Shows that involve cops in any way in the last year, as I think a lot of people have by becoming more, it's not like I wasn't aware of stuff, but the representation, like thinking about what's represented on TV and the narratives that that pushes out started getting to me a lot more. But it is like something, I don't even know how to describe it. There's something in it that's like, let's pretend it's this way, 
or something. Well, it's the it's the damsel in distress. Yeah. I mean, it's every fairy tale and Disney movie you ever saw. Yeah. But it's just gritty. Yes. You know, it's like for the adult <laughs> consumer. Yes. And if the damsel in distress is the one who gets the attention and the love and the caretaking, whether it's posthumous or not, like whether she's dead or alive, it's a very human thing to want to identify with her. Yes. <laughs> we all want to be cared for and have people love us, miss us, care for us, avenge us. You like it's 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 Disney, it's Sleeping Beauty, it's Cinderella, but it's just with a much grittier kind of violence layered over the top yes. and the same way that a little girl kind of wants to be Sleeping Beauty who by the way like yes. is assaulted. Yep. yep. <laughs> like in the fairy oh tale, you know, it would almost be odd that an adult woman identified person who was raised on Sleeping Beauty wouldn't on some level somewhat identify with or long for some aspect of the care that the victim is getting and the attention that the victim is getting. What I mean, part of what's so messed up about it is that the victims have just been tortured or killed. And so we're drawn into identifying with people who have been brutalized and that is not that's not free like there's a cost to that yes oh you are so right I mean even I've even spent a long time thinking about like why I still like the character of Elliot Stabler who like I first of all I think if I if I watched the show for the first time today I'd be disgusted you know what I mean Mm. some of it is Mm -hmm. is because I grew up watching it you know or was on tv or whatever Mm-hmm. But there is because he's a hot white dude and he's powerful and he got in there before you probably had the intellectual yes. or political sophistication <laughs> yes. to reject it. Well, part of the reason why I would be disgusted is because he's a completely unethical cop who beats people up all the time. Like, obviously, that's not chill. But right. when you're watching it and you're younger, it like to me, it definitely was tied to like, I want I want my dad to go after people if they're mean to me. And I don't feel like I get that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very it was it's very like, oh, a man going after people because they hurt a girl like yeah, there's like a fantasy part of it, you know? Yeah, it's fair. It's it's fairy tale. I mean, but it's like then you get into it and you're like, that's so fucked up. I'm watching this because I want to see cop daddy beat up some bad guys. Like, what the fuck? You know, I know. <laughs> By the way, I don't want to get a bunch of hate mail. Like, I, I, if you read my book, you'll see that I, I have positive things to say about SVU. Oh, you too. will not be getting hate mail from, okay, from this. Do not worry. <laughs> I'm not trashing <laughs> the whole show, whole cloth. No, you're I'm just fine. dissecting a, at one piece of it and how it inter- you know interacts with the broader culture. I mean, I would really doubt you would get hate mail from our from our audience, but if you if there if there is someone out there who does that, you send them to me and I'll take <laughs> I'll take care of them. But Thank you. I really You'll be my stabler. <laughs> yes, I'll track them down. <laughs> I won't stop until Kathy calls and says that I'm late to be at home. <laughs> oh, my God. You can follow Savala at, at NotQuiteBeyonce on Instagram and at SavalaTweets on Twitter. Make sure to get a copy of Don't Let It Get You Down, Essays on Race, Gender, and the Body. Links are in the show notes and on our info page. We'll be right back. Dun-dun.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And as my next witness, I'm calling to the stand Sydney Skye, who is at Black Fat Queer on Twitter. Sid is an artist, activist, and esthetician. Don't worry, we're linking her Patreon and Etsy for you in the show notes. We had Sid on last season to talk about Dreamgirls, and wow, they have incredible insight on the cultural milieu and lots of other things. That's why I wanted to have my friend Sid on to talk about why we love slash loved Law & Order SVU and where to divert those nostalgia feelings instead. Here's our interview. Okay, so let's first, maybe we can just talk about what both of our experiences have been watching these kinds of shows in the past. Mm -hmm. So I personally have a longtime watcher. I've definitely watched every episode of Law & Order SVU. I think like when they put it on Netflix a long time ago or Hulu or something, mm -hmm. I like blasted through all of them. Plus, I would always watch on USA or mm -hmm. TNT or whichever, yep, you know, would those have those two. marathons. Uh huh. Yeah. I used to watch so much of it and I loved it. And then I watched other, I've watched other police shows. Like, mm -hmm. I've, I've even watched NCIS, which is, by the way, <laughs> the most popular show in the world. Isn't that insane? I I do not like it. I'm so picky about like my police shows because I grew up on SVU. Like I promise you, I don't remember a time when I didn't watch it. Like my mom was a heavy Law and Order fan, so uh -huh. like I would just be young, sitting at the end of her bed at night, just watching episodes with her. And so like yep. I get sleepy and like she like go to bed and I go to bed, but like I just remember watching it for hours. Even now, I have seen every episode, even to the current season. I have seen every oh my God. single one. <laughs> You've kept up. The last four have been rough. I don't like them. I'm trying to hold on, but it lost what it had. It keeps trying to do like rip from the headlines. Headlines. And I'm like, eh. I hate those. And I'm like, it just I happened last those. week. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, no, I can't stand those. Yeah, it's nostalgic. I think I feel bad. I feel as bad because I don't engage in as much for one like you said yeah. the last couple seasons have been trash and then also yes. it just has made me uncomfortable I think when yeah. I was younger it definitely helped me under like it, I definitely learned things from when I was younger but as Same. you I definitely like learned what consent is and about rape like I definitely learned like those yeah. basic things 
But yep. yeah, I feel bad. But I've also, again, I've just recognized the nostalgia of it. And I also watch it now and I kind of laugh because it's so ridiculous yes. now that I know the truth. I'm like, this doesn't happen yes. like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Or like when Stabler like beats up another suspect. I'm like, how is this not? Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely fantasy. <laughs> it's definitely fantasy. It is. And like... I think, you know, as such, it's worth examining as like a cultural product of what our fantasies are, which is what we're going to get into. Who gets to be a victim? Like, you know, the kind of self-satisfaction that a viewer can get from watching justice happen almost every time. Not every time because Mm -hmm. they couldn't, they know that'd be too, too unrealistic, but pretty much every time, Mm -hmm. almost every time. I remembering like watching SVU with oh my god memory unlocked I used to watch SVU a lot with this girl who was like my best friend in middle school who we definitely Mm. liked each other but I didn't know I didn't like understand what what (laughs) was happening and we used to watch it together and she also had quotes from it on her Facebook bio like in her profile she had like her favorite (sighs) quotes from Ice T and like all these moments in the show so it's like that's also SVU for me is like Mm. a nascent bisexual blossoming (laughs) you know what I mean yeah it's been around for so long like yeah that like it absolutely like marks certain times for us in like life yeah definitely like even my mom was like oh yeah I remember when Benson cut her hair in that short hairstyle that made me do it so then that's how I decided to cut my hair oh my god literally why she did it that's amazing yeah so like it it marks time right and so yes even the show kind of i guess develop as time goes on from like the 90s to the early 2000s and you just kind of see just the clothes the sound like the lighting changing and so it just shows you that time is like moving i guess definitely yes okay so now we have talked about why we feel fondly about SVU. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the criticism a little bit here. Okay, so one thing I thought about when I wanted to do an episode on this is I was like, I don't know if SVU is fat phobic or not. The truth is you don't really see that many fat people on the show ever. There's that one defense attorney who shows up sometimes who's a fat guy and he's always like representing like rich some piece of crap criminal yeah exactly he's the most annoying one every time i see him yes oh my god (laughs) so he's a recurring actor who's fat who they treat like a person and his fatness isn't mentioned but i think there are a couple episodes there's one episode in particular that like talks about fatness and it's really terrible and gross I will read the description of it here. We don't need to get too, too into it because we could analyze it, I think, without talking about the upsetting plot too much. Yeah. Yeah. So trigger warning for violent fat phobia and sexual assault. Here is the description for this episode. A band of teenage siblings attack and sodomize a teenage girl who is a gifted piano student at a prestigious high school in Harlem. When Warner identifies the attackers as overweight, Detective Stabler and his new partner, Detective Lucius Blaine, whoever the fuck that is, track down the siblings who claim they attacked the victim to avenge an attack on their very fat brother. So I remember watching this episode and being like, um, (laughs) 
I remember I knew it. I knew when you said SVU and I saw that episode. I knew which one it was. That episode. I had to watch it and it was hard to watch it last night. I was like, this is too much. Because I was I like, I can't believe you watched the whole thing. <laughs> I had to. It was a lot because I'm reading Deshaun's book and at the same time. Yes. The episode reflects the book. And so I'm going through a hard chapter about like black bodies and policing. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Everyone buy Deshaun's book. Yes. Link in the show notes. Do you have any parts you want to read out that related? Well, first of all, when I first saw it, I'm like, this is very much written from like a thin person's sick, twisted fantasy that fat people are just so jealous of me and we just want to attack them and we want to, we're like, Ursula, I want to take their beauty and oh, I want to like wear your skin. No, I don't. Like, I I can't fit your skin. I don't want it. Yes. So... I'm just going to read the quote first, and then I'm just going to yes. like get into it. And this, again, this is from Deshaun Harrison's new yeah. book, Belly of the Beast, which we have linked everywhere. And if you haven't heard about it by now, go really listen yes, to the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes so, okay, this chapter is called Black, Fat, and Policed. And at the top of the paragraph, it says, as the black is the beast, the black fat is always already criminalized and engaged as something and something that needs to be euthanized, put down. So this very much reflects the episode. Yeah. They frame these black siblings as these violent, beastly like people. Yes. Even like down to the mother, like they even blame her. It was just so much. It's like the perfect example of like every issue with these crime shows like what we're going to talk about also in this episode is how usually the victims in these shows are thin white women who are murdered Mm -hmm. and they're and then they're they have these beautiful sad twisted corpses because that's who we are taught to sympathize with in this society yeah and like so this episode is like exactly like a a group of like black teens sexually assault like a white teenage girl i think yeah and it's like okay so the people that you can imagine being black and fat as victims are like in only in this weird fantasy it's like the weirdest shit and then they twist it to where they're like oh actually they did that because she jumped their oldest brother and then i'm like first of all yeah, I'm gonna whoop your ass. Like I, I, I agree. Like sometimes violence is the freaking answer. I'm gonna whoop your ass. Like I, you jumped my brother. Oh I'm my beating God. your ass. Second of all, I was like, it also frames like fat black rage is just dangerous and like again yes. animalistic. Yes. Like Deshaun wrote like a, this beast that's like uncontrollable and it needs to get put down because yes. by the end of the episode. The white kids that beat up the the brother actually walk away. And as he's walking away free, the brother shoots him. Oh, my because God. Because he realized that justice failed him. And so now he's like, well, okay, then I'm going to have to do it myself. And again, they start to frame these, like, justifiable feelings of rage and anger and somehow make them the monsters right yes absolutely even in the end like when they tell the white girl like oh we know you did this because you used to be fat and now you're fat phobic 
and she's crying and we're still supposed to sympathize with her meanwhile uh-huh. in reality she's gotten one person killed by like her actions uh-huh. another person hurt and like now you have another person put in j- like again like you said it makes white women the victim but this is like really deep in our like entertainment like you can take this back to like birth of a nation it was based off of that like oh this white woman got hurt so now the clan has come to you know fight for her righteousness so like it's just buried so deep and i think like when i was writing all this i was kind of like you know what this is very much that and the like the cowboys and indians but like updated with the times it's very much like people of color are these monsters and here comes the white superhero the white detective to tame these people and save white society and keep them safe yes even like true crime podcast ah true crime remember when i mentioned diverting our energy away from svu to something uh less harmful Well, true crime has some similar issues. Zooming out a little, a show like SVU and a podcast like My Favorite Murder both fall under this topic I'm interested in, the consumption of crime narratives. I can ask the same questions I've been asking about Law & Order about a true crime series. Whose stories are getting told, fictional or otherwise? Which true crimes get highlighted and why? While we're calling it true crime, I have some more thoughts. If you look at the numbers, it becomes clear that Black and Indigenous peoples are facing crime and violence at rates far beyond what we might think from the very small amount of Black and Indigenous folks represented as sympathetic victims in true crime narratives. Let's look at some info on missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada. From the Canadian Encyclopedia, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police acknowledged in a 2014 report that there have been more than 1,200 missing and murdered Indigenous women between 1980 and 2012. Indigenous women's groups, however, document the number of missing and murdered to be over 4,000. The confusion about the numbers has to do with the underreporting of violence against Indigenous women and girls and the lack of an effective database. So part of the reason true crime shows fail to tell the stories of Indigenous victims is that violence against Indigenous people is systematically covered up to benefit white colonizers. Historically, colonizers and settlers have benefited off the narrative that indigenous people are disappearing or non-existent because it supports the idea that colonized land was free and barren when it was, quote, discovered. It lets colonizers off the hook for indigenous genocide. And it lets us true crime consumers who are not indigenous, especially those of us who are white, ignore those truer crimes, the ones where our history, we are the criminals. There are still a lot of issues today, obviously, with the way that white people, the people who control this country, ignore the plight of indigenous people, and we wanted to shine a little light on them. To learn more about missing and murdered indigenous women and what you can do, check the links in our show notes to Amnesty International. In our interview, Sid brought up this really good article by our friend Aubrey Gordon, aka Your Fat Friend, called The Conflicted Life of a True Crime Fan. Here's what they said. Well, your fat friend also made a point saying that the main consumers of true crime are white people. From a stance of like a black person listening to true crime, it's definitely to make white people feel safe. Even the things they yes. say like, oh, in this small neighborhood where everybody kept their doors unlocked. And I'm like, why do you have your doors unlocked? That just normally means <laughs> that like there's no non-white people around. We could keep our doors unlocked. But I'm like, why do you have them unlocked? Like, to support your point, I would like 
to quote from this Vulture article called Why is TV So Addicted to Crime by Catherine Van Aaron Donk, which is a great name. Quote, most crime stories constantly reinforce a particular idea about who gets to be the default viewer. By positioning crime as enjoyable as a vacation from the everyday, crime stories emphasize whose experience gets to be the everyday. If you live your life aware that, without warning, you could be get pulled over for a broken taillight and then imprisoned for resisting arrest and potentially shot and killed in the process, your relationship with policing and crime is not reflected by a CBS procedural's fun pursuit of dastardly bad guys. When we call crime stories escapist, the implication is they are vacations you can return from. Which I think is, like, a good bullet point to yeah. what you were saying. Yeah. Pretty much. Because, like, it'll be like, ooh, a girl gets, you know, assaulted and murdered. And it's like, ooh, this shook the town. But I'm like, where I live in Detroit, I'm like, I look on the news, that's happening every day. So it's like, yeah. these cases are only pinpointed because of who the victim is. For me, I've explained it to someone before. Like, when it comes to true crime, it depends on a few things. Who the victim is yeah. and who is the killer. It based on their identities is what determines if this case will be heard or not. Because if you have... Yes. Again, Ted Bundy killing white women who are college age and attractive and he's attractive and he's so of course we're going to hear about that because it's like, oh, my gosh, like you don't go around white, sophisticated, attractive, quotations on the attractive, but okay. Yes. White men, (laughs) educated, do not go around killing, you know, co-eds, quote unquote. So that's that's the pool. It's like, oh, this could happen to me. But then yes there are people like in cleveland where it's a black guy killing sex workers and black women and not heard of no nothing nothing not a peep yeah which it's like really says something that there's no interest in this serial killer wonder why mm-hmm. yeah it's like very obviously racist it's like there are podcasts out there at least true crime podcasts that actually educate and actually use it yeah. to do something like I, I have a list of yeah. like podcasts that either feature like non-white victims or non-white hosts or anything that like relates to non-white people or just any of the such it's a really good list but one of them it's called in the dark and it's about a guy yeah named patrick flowers and the podcast eventually gets him out and it's like what makes it sad for me personally listening to it is much as I like true pods, there are some of them I just can't. You have to have boundaries with true crime. And, like, cases with black people, when, especially when they're handled by, like, white hosts, I usually skip over. Yep. Along with cases about, like, wrongful convictions. Because for me, like the article said, I can't, like, come back from hearing that. Like, hearing that is just going to have me all day just angry, upset, scared. Like, yeah. it, that's not... Like that's that's real life. Yeah. A lot of it is real life. I again have like boundaries I have to like put down, things I won't listen to or documentaries that like I won't watch. So I think there's a good way to use it. And I think that one was a really good way to set someone free, even though it's one person. I think 
it does a good job of showing the system, a good job of educating people about how these things can happen and how frequent they happen. Yeah. So that's a good one. Another one called Finding Cleo is a really good one, especially for right now, that talks about indigenous kids in Canada being stolen and put through the adoption yes. system and the churches. It like I, I think I listened to this maybe a year or two ago before all this came out about the churches in Canada. And... I was just not surprised when it came out. Like, I was just not surprised after listening to it. So that's also a good one when you really want to hear stories that matter. And the host is also Indigenous. So, again, these stories matter. They, like, make sense. And they're not just for pure entertainment. Like, you know, you know the shows. You know the podcasts and documentaries that are just trying to make entertainment. Versus the ones that are actually trying to teach or make a point or shine light on something. More journalism side versus entertainment side. I think I have, as a white person, I have a different responsibility to like be really critiquing the media that I take in and why and how I use it in a way that's different than, you know, non-white people. Like in the same way that, you know, I side-eye thin people who aren't, you know, watching their their media for like fat phobic content like it's different thing for me to be like yeah it's bad but i still watch it like i like which is why i highly recommend other white karens like me read (laughs) your fat friend aubrey gordon's piece that we'll link in the show notes the conflicted life of a true crime fan because she really gets into it there and kind of walks you through it from a white woman's perspective on what we should maybe be thinking about and if you are not a white woman then i recommend as we talked about Deshaun harrison's book and of course fearing the black body and as you heard us talk about don't let it get you down essays on race gender and the body by savala nolan who talks about why she doesn't watch it at all anymore mm-hmm. so i'm hoping that this episode has something for every Lover and hater of true crime (laughs) of many stripes. (laughs) Yes. And that's the episode. As always, we've got patrons to thank. Sophia Hawk. Annie Capetta. Jessica, Aerie, and Aaron Robertson. We couldn't make the show without you. Bye! Bye! She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she'sallfatpod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced 
produced by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Vertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. And you keep writing this as dun dun dun, which is dun dun dun. The law and order is dun dun. It's just two. Dun dun dun. That's the that's the chipmunk one. Okay. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.